everyone. It's the H Word podcast. Ta-da! My name's Dan. I'm Becky. Hey, Dan. Hi. Um, I thought we'd start with um, our our favorite, most beloved segment, the weather report. Please. Um, I'll I'll go first. It has been a wild week in Toronto. We are in the middle of midge season, which is, mm. there's sort of two in the year, but it's like um, an, uh, just millions of little bugs fucking all over the place. Yeah. And well, and you're closer to the water. I don't get as many bugs, but I am seeing some little bugs. Yeah. There's a lot of bugs. Like it's gotten in the way of my desire to want to go out and exercise, mm-hmm. um, which my jeans just don't fit anymore. Right. That's where we've gotten to. Uh, that's the gauge okay. of size. I don't keep a scale in my house because I'm not allowed to, but my jeans don't fit and there's midges everywhere. Um, but it also snowed this week and also yes. hailed and also is raining now. And also was very warm yesterday. Um, I wouldn't know. I don't go outside. <laughs> copy that. Well, you do have a window though. You're not in a sealed box, are you? Window. Yeah. Was it warm? I was really sweaty. Yeah, so there you go. Oh, great. That's an indication of warmth, generally. Yeah, or it can be um, stress or menopause or who knows. It can be anything. Sure, yeah. yeah. Chalk it up to something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the warm weather, though, the, since we're on the weather report, it does make me think of something that, um, you know how, like, a lot of the times we've been talking about COVID concerns and then two weeks after we talk about them, they're in the news. You know, joggers or whatever. Oh, because we're, like, way ahead of the times and the things that we're concerned about. Well, we're just worriers, so we we're, like, better at worrying about things, and then sort of, then the worry spreads, you know, like a, I won't complete the sentence, and... Like, uh, a, like a rollout bed. Exactly. And then you see, start to see articles because people are like, well, enough people are worried about this, let's address it in the news. Here's my concern now. Central air. I live in a building that, uh, as we know, 13th floor, um... And you just absolutely need the air conditioning in the summer. It is unbearable without it because we are just inundated with sun. Right. And uh, I'm starting to fear my air conditioner. You have Um, central air. And do you have electric central heating? Yes. I ask this because I edit the podcast and I can hear it. You can hear it? Yeah. I've actually. Well, you haven't. It hasn't been on since we've been recording the podcast. The heater? I don't know what you're hearing. Yeah. Well, something's happening. Then maybe helicopters are flying by your place. I don't know what's going on. Trains. I get. Tra- I, I'm right <gasps> by a, a, a set of train tracks. You can hear them that far up. Okay, sorry. That's a digression. Oh yeah, they're I, they're like right out my window. Yeah, that's what it is. It's trains. That's cool. I can see them coming in the waveforms when I'm editing the podcast. Oh really? Yeah. Um, okay, I can but, see them coming out my window. <laughs> but back to central air. Um, you're right to be concerned. I don't know if you saw the mayor of las vegas being interviewed on anderson cooper uh i didn't watch it all but i i i you know got the gist yeah okay this is actually not about the mayor who's um i i think i have an interview with a buddy in las vegas coming up so if so we can sort of unpack that in that interview but the but but anderson cooper was showing a graphic of of coronavirus spreading in a restaurant i believe from china because of air conditioning Yes, and this I, I obviously have been searching for news about this, of and course. this is what I did come across, and it was that it spread it within a room. Yes, and that I understand, I get it. It's circulating the air, uh, but what I'm concerned is from unit to unit. I think uh, I am often less concerned than you. I'm sometimes very dismissive of your concerns, and I think here we go. Yeah, these concerns are are very well founded. Oh, thank you. Uh, I mean, thank you, but also. Uh oh! It would be nice if you were wrong. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I'm now thinking because we had a warm day, and it's like, okay, I, I'm obviously not going to turn it on now because it's not even required. But there, it, you know, there are certain days where it's going to become feel like it's needed, and I hope that whatever investigation needs to take place happens before that time. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, SARS spread that way. Of course, Legionnaires. Um, Legionnaires did something even weirder. Legionnaires like pulled the air out of the room and then like the 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 um, ventilation dripped outside on people on the street. Oh man! I believe. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but well, I've been dripped on plenty by air conditioning units. 
And I'm sure you have too. That's different, I think. This was a weird thing where it was shooting out the ventilation air. I have a window air conditioning unit, so I guess I'm okay. Oh, you're certainly okay. Well, I don't know what... I'm talking about, because yours doesn't mix with other apartments. No, just just the disgusting outside, the raccoons. Um... Well, I mean, I, I, if we get there, Dan, I can suggest some maybe DIY solutions. That's my forte. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fans until I know one way or the other. And if it's not humid, you can try a swamp cooler, which is like you, you take a pan of ice and put a fan over it. Okay. I mean, it sounds fun. <laughs> it sounds really fun. Like it's a it's a DIY sort of experiment. Um, uh-huh. I, I have a hopeful please um it's it's a little bit older like a couple weeks i guess now but i was re-watching some old uh relatively new seth meyers episodes yeah i have to say um the late night shows there i would watch them political deep dive things pretty consistently but i've come to enjoy the interviews much more in this time mm. um colbert seth meyers uh John Oliver doesn't do interviews. Um, yeah, there's, there's no time pressure, I would imagine. Uh, oh, that's a good point. That I don't know, but there's this sort—it's this sort of like—it's the there's less there's less like just prepared stuff to promote your movie, mm. and there's more like it's like more personal. There's more personal check-ins. There's more kids running around or problems like that. I watched um, Stephen Colbert interview Daniel Radcliffe, and the sound wouldn't work for a really long time. <laughs> it's all very charming. <laughs> you know that sounds good yeah yeah well i recommend them and um uh the, the, anyway so seth meyers interviewed tracy morgan and it was just this is probably a couple weeks ago it was so funny tracy morgan is so funny and it somehow addressed something that i've really been conflicted about because everything's i, I know as comedians our job is to be funny and and to distract and to entertain and not always to comment but i feel such a huge pressure that i'm like i gotta solve all the world's problems somehow through my jokes so they have to be the perfect balance of serious and they still have to be funny and and that kind of mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. and at one point seth meyers says something to tracy morgan like because tracy morgan's making jokes that he feels are like too much and tracy's like i'm here to do comedy right (laughs) and it was like a revelation to me that's so obvious it's like yeah we need this Mm -hmm. we need this or colbert was interviewing john oliver and john oliver was getting a bit dark and colbert's like "Uh uh-uh this is network (laughs) this is you know keep it bouncy keep it light and it just it made me think of First of all, how much these shows have meant to me, not even as like a professional watching what they're doing, but like at the end of the night, I get to laugh and absorb this information. Yeah. Um, then I went back and watched one of my, it's not one of my favorite episodes of 30 Rock because it's hugely problematic. Like it's an episode <laughs> where Jenna's in blackface. Oh, okay. That's not okay. Now, the thing that I find really upsetting about the whole situation is that she's in blackface, but Tracy Morgan gets dressed up as a white woman named Becky, mm-hmm. which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he's got a he's got a monster claw on one hand. It's very hard to explain the next levelness to what he's doing, um, and it's very unfortunate that it's now in an episode that's I don't know going to get just canceled by society. But I went back and watched that just to see if it made me laugh the same way. And it does. He's And he's on screen doing this for like seven seconds. <laughs> I don't understand his talent. It's, it's ludicrous. That's great. Anyway, Tracy Morgan made me feel hopeful. I'll see if I can find a picture of him dressed up as Becky. It's, it's like something from another world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like something from David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how are you doing? You staying healthy? Uh, yeah, I'm getting a, um, I'm getting a produce box delivery. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, how long are we in? Five weeks now? Six? Already getting a bit, already getting a bit sick of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, because we're getting, we're getting so many onions. Ugh. Uh, and... Ew. <laughs> When you get hit with the same hard vegetable twice in a row, so we got cabbage back to back, and I've been eating too much cabbage, uh, and trying to find ways to make it 
exciting. Oh, I have cabbage tips. Wait, what kind of cabbage? Did you get Savoy or? Like, I don't know, regular sort of light green cabbage. Circular, not tubular. Circular. Really, okay. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> may I recommend one of my favorite meals as a child, which was, yes, cabbage. Um, yes. Okay, so you already have personal ties to it being good. I, I don't. Okay, well, try this if you haven't already. Fry it up in so much butter and put pepper on it. It's called grelch. Uh, that's what I called it as a kid. <laughs> it's called grelch. That's what I called it. <laughs> it's well, no one else has named it anything, so it's called grelch. Um, and it's pretty fun to either eat it pretending that you are a troll or that you are a princess, but the trolls brought you food tonight. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like add a little roll. Like that is the way to make it exciting is just imagine the food is something else. Um, well, what are you doing with it to, to back to reality? Well, um, uh, and a lot of mayonnaise ends up being involved. Coleslaw. I mean, it's a delicious coleslaw, but I'm eating way too much mayonnaise. You're eating it raw and you're eating too much mayonnaise. Yeah. You, raw. Yeah. What's what? Okay, you well, think I should be cooking it. Yes, I do. I, I mean, you can eat it raw. Well, you the want, other the other option harder. is the other option is okonomiyaki, which I want to try, but it's also very oily, like very fatty, and I'm just like I'm not, I can't eat a lot of fatty foods. Why not? What's okonomiyaki? That uh, wait, what? Oh, what is that? Okono, okonomiyaki. So like you know when you have teriyaki, uh, uh-huh. yaki means fried, I believe. Uh huh. And then the first part teri teri means chicken, and uh, okonomi means like whatever's around, sort of like hodgepodge. Right. So it's a kind of like a pancake, and uh, it's like shredded cabbage with like egg, and then um, various sort of like fun stuff. Whatever's in the fridge is the idea. So often it'll be like chunks of meat or whatever, but like yogurt. I'll, I'll... <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I don't know if you put yogurt in, <laughs> and then like kind of fried up in oil. Why can't you have that? That sounds great. I want to, I'm going to try it. I'm in a small dose, you know, see if I can handle it. Because, yeah, it is it is delicious. Do you like mayonnaise? I love mayonnaise. Have you always? Yeah. Is that gross? You no. say it like it's gross. No, no, no. I just, um, I, I know there's not a huge age difference between us, but when I was around your age, I think I developed a love for mayonnaise that came out of nowhere and was kind of perplexing. <laughs> and it stayed or it was a real little phase? No, I, it stayed. I was not into it before, and uh, <laughs> it really changed my hot dog Fridays. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Hot dog Fridays. <laughs> so wait, when you were when you were a few years younger than you are now, you were having hot dog Fridays. Yeah, um, Itar does most of the cooking, and he doesn't. He he didn't want to have a big deal on Friday, so we kept some veggie dogs and hot dogs in the fridge. And then oh, okay, okay. that was Friday. And when I was working at Second City, I'd get hot dogs sent to work with me as my lunch. <laughs> at, I think your age, at 37. <laughs> I was making me lunches. We're... And, you just, and you just imagined that a troll was sending them to you. Um, Dan, I'm a grown-up now. Okay, sorry. Um, do you, should we, how long have we been talking? Uh, we've been talking for 13 minutes. Do you like that? Do you? Yeah. Um, I want to tell you more stuff to do with cabbage, but really just fry it up, make soup. I tore made a kimchi soup. I can maybe get him to send a recipe. Oof. Sounds complex, but yeah, send it to me. It's not, because you don't really make the kimchi. It just sort of replicates those flavors. But it has oh. Savoy cabbage in it. It might work with yours. I think it's called Savoy? Seville? The fluffy mm. one. I mean, anyway. Um, and potatoes, and it's super spicy and really good. And, you know, like Korean kind of yeah. flavor profile. we got to get those cabbages into you, Dan, because that's it's the food of the future. It's all we have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I do like a cabbage salad. Uh, I just got to switch from the mayonnaise-based dressing. Okay. Uh, miso. Dijon. Miso. Oh, okay. Miso Dijon would work together. Great. This is this has been recipe time. <laughs> Just sort of yelling ingredients. You guys sort yeah. it out. Miso. <laughs> uh, honey. Um, <laughs> maple syrup. And as far as those raw onions, don't know what to do about it. Uh, I've been, I follow Anessa Frantoski on all the different channels out there and she's been eating it raw. Onions? Yeah. No thanks. Yeah, no thank you either. This is where her Russianness and my Russianness diverge. I can't do it. Um, yeah. 
But uh, I have a fun interview. Great. Who is it? Brandon Hackett. Oh, yeah. I know what a dream come true. You ready for that? I am. Okay, bye, Daniel. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Uh, hi, everybody. It's Becky. I'm back, and I'm sitting here across the city with my buddy, Brandon Hackett. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Becky. Hey, How's it going? Hey, good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for having me on. Um, thank you so much for coming on. We were going to do this before, and then we didn't, and then we didn't realize that we'd never get to see each other in person again. Oh, yeah. That was the uh, last time we'd ever see each other uh, before um, the end of the world. Well, the cozy times. <laughs> I don't know. Are you feeling like it's the end of the world? Uh, you know what? It uh, it comes in. Um, I kind of vacillate. So sometimes I'm like, we're fine, and then other times I'm I'm just sort of like, I don't know if I see the end uh, of this nightmare happening anytime soon. Yeah. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Who are you? <laughs> I know because we got into the conversation, but nightmares. I know you. So uh, let's just let's just make sure everyone else knows Brandon. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm Brandon Hackett. I am a, a uh, Toronto-based comedy writer and performer. And uh, you, I some recent credits. Do you want credits? Yes, please. Recent credits, please. Okay. <laughs> and some vintage credits, too, please. Absolutely. So some uh, recent credits uh, have been uh, spent, uh, wrote on this last season of this hour, 22 minutes. Uh, and uh, the Beaverton, uh, and I have I'm also an alumnus of the Second City Main Stage in Toronto, uh, which is where Becky and I first worked together. But we've known each other a little bit before. Yeah, that was great. And uh, and the Skechersons and stuff like that. So those are my that's, main credits. That's your pedigree. Mm-hmm. Your um, alma maters. Did you go to college? I did. I went to uh, U of T. Oh, what'd you study? Uh, I have a degree in, so I have a double major in, uh, classical languages and English literature. Wow. That, that scans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I feel like that's like a puzzle, a major puzzle piece to figure out what this, um, why I, uh, sound like the stuffiest old man. You don't sound old. You just sound like erudite. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess I sound erud- erudite, and I, I don't know if I'm necessarily functionally erudite. Well, but, um, <laughs> you, have the, you have the self-awareness to at least say that. How many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak one language well. Uh, <laughs> oh, which one? <laughs> uh, English. Uh, I speak some French okay. I don't speak it perfectly, but uh, I could get out of a situation in a pinch. Uh, I, for classic languages, I learned Latin and Greek, um, but it's been about, a, about two months. It will have been 10 years since, uh, I graduated. So right. it will have been that long. And then, uh, uh, over the last couple of years, I started learning, um, Mandarin. Were you doing Japanese so st- too? No, just Mandarin. Oh, why did I think you were also trying to learn Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. How's Mandarin going? Yeah, I haven't taken a class in a, in a while. Um, I I loved it. It was it was. Um, I thought it was going pretty well, and uh, I it was all kind of leading up to a trip. I wanted to go to China back in 2018 after I finished at Second City. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I took about uh, six eight months eight months of classes um, weekly, and then. Um, went to China and was quite bad at it for a long time. And then by the time I left, I was able to kind of have very short uh, conversations that people were no longer <laughs> looking at me with confusion uh, at. Cool. So there, yeah, <laughs> that was okay. Well, that's impressive to me. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, um, if you take any language course, you take any sort of class, eventually you get better at a skill and, you know, I guess I, I guess maybe I'm, I'm addicted to learning very specific things that are not necessarily commonly learned yeah uh by like people not sort of like in that culture so then you know when the topic comes up that i just sound interesting i think if i were to pathologize myself <laughs> i'm addicted to sounding interesting please this is a space to pathologize yourself <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well yeah i mean you say that it's it's not super hard but i've been partnered with a uh, someone whose first language is spanish for almost 20 years and i have not been able to learn it and i speak french 
Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with my brain. So I'm impressed with the plasticity of yours. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Right. Do you? Well, you speak fluent French, yeah? Mm, again, like I did, but mm-hmm. I, I, the last French I took was in high school. I was in French immersion, but like that was 25 years ago. How old am I? Sure, yeah. yeah. So, holy crap, that was 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. That was a whole person's width <laughs> of time. I've started measuring uh, time in in, in uh, uh, ages of people of late, uh, too. Like what? <laughs> oh, like saying like, well, you know, I started university a whole teenager ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, <laughs> you know, like um, a whole driver's license ago was when, you know. So <laughs> yeah. Just stuff like that. I'm trying to figure out who I just re- found out was younger than me. Oh, Kim Jong-un. <laughs> oh no that wasn't, that wasn't he's accomplished so much too that wasn't a good one yeah possibly dying uh, yeah that's true yeah he's so young he's achieved so much death before i, ca- I could <laughs> kill or myself or anyone else oh. <laughs> i'm sorry yeah it's too much um <laughs> what have you been um what have you been doing to keep yourself busy in the lockdown um so uh basically i've been resting uh i had a pretty yeah i had a pretty hectic year 2019 was really um it was a really good year for me and i don't mean that in any sort of like braggy way yeah Uh, i think all artists um when they finish a gig is when i finish second city um all artists have this anxiety that they're never going to work again or that the work they get is not going to um sufficiently pay for the bills and they have to go back to their Joe jobs. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to not have to do that in 2019. But the fact of the matter is, uh, as someone who's still an artist, I had to work kind of constantly and I, I wasn't saying no to anything. So I kind of entered this year super burnt out mm-hmm. and the, the virus kind of um, proliferating became kind of an excuse for me to um, just stay at home and uh, do all the things I've been dreaming about for a year, mm. um, uh, which is not to glorify the virus at all. But um, yeah, so I've been kind of reading a lot and uh, watching movies and um, trying to cook, but not really doing a great job. Oh, yeah? What are you trying to cook? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the other day, what did I make? <laughs> Literally, I have to think like two days ago. I watched you make beans when we chatted last. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, the simplest dinner of all time. He's a fancy man who loves a can of beans. (laughs) (laughs) He's let me open, cook a can of beans and then pour it on some rice and then take a roast, previously roast chicken and be like, this is a meal, daddy. Um, <laughs> Thank you for calling me your daddy. <laughs> uh, I well, I, I made some like scallion pancakes uh, the other day. Like I made the dough and and uh, chopped up the um, scallions. Or I guess it was it was um, uh, yeah scallions. And um, uh, and then yeah, made a made a couple pancakes. Um, so that was something that was just something new and different I hadn't done before. Um, That's wonderful. Um, Brandon, let's get to the central theme of this podcast, hope. What are your thoughts on it? Thoughts on hope. Uh, okay. Um, hmm. Obviously, hope is a very important thing to have. Uh, I have a lot of trouble personally keeping up hope on my own, mm-hmm. as much as I like to think that I'm an optimistic person. Um, I, but it's obviously very, very important. I think right now, uh, of like of late in these times, I think, um, uh, I definitely vacillate a lot between hope and hopelessness. Yeah. Uh, of late, I think because it's still fairly early, I would say within the life of what's going on right now. Um, uh, I, I feel a bit more hopeful than I feel like I would feel in maybe two months. I think in two months I'd be a little bit worn down. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. It's hard mm-hmm. to know where we're going. 
Yeah. It's, uh, it's super, it's super hard to know. I mean, I think thankfully like, uh, the government here is doing like a, I think a pretty good job I of trying so to, su- too. yeah, to support people and, and like adjusting or adapting to, uh, uh, adapting when, uh, the measures they're taking aren't sufficient, but it, you know, like how, how long <laughs> will that able to be, will, will that be able to last, you know? Um, yeah. How long until people just start cheating on all the rules? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Does that sort of answer? <laughs> I know it's a very open question, but does that sort of approach? Yeah. Well, is there anything lately that uh, maybe not even just hope, but like that you're taking comfort in being surprised by in a positive way? Hmm. I would say. I'm actually quite, you know, everyone's saying this and I, I feel like I'm sort of saying this through gritted, tr- gritted teeth or begrudgingly, but I'm surprised, uh, by how, uh, by the provincial leadership, to be perfectly honest. That actually hasn't uh, come up yet on the podcast. So that's something interesting that we can talk about. Sure. Yeah. I don't know how, how deeply I can get into it, but I, I um, well, so for people, yeah, for people listening who aren't from Canada and Ontario, our provincial government is kind of, what would you say, populist, right-leaning? Yeah, a little bit more right-leaning. Uh, the the premier of the province, I think, uh, started out as a little bit of a uh, kind of, I feel like a Trump fanboy a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, he's the brother of notorious deceased Toronto mayor Rob Ford. So Doug Ford's our premier. Mm-hmm. Um, very kind of no more tax kind of platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And seem to be kind of campaigning on a lot of, um, not campaigning on, but, uh, following through with a lot of, uh, cuts to like education social programs and that sort of things. Education, yeah, yep. is the sort of big, the big fight that he's, uh, instigated. Yeah, with, um, with teachers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's fighting kids in the street. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um he yeah, so uh, in in no world would I have ever um been able to fathom that I would be comforted by the behavior of Doug Ford. Uh and I still don't I'm I'm still not I would still not give him a pass uh for uh all of the things he's done so far, but yeah. Uh, I think especially when looking when looking towards other places like the states, for example, which I hope things get better for them, uh, Doug Ford seems to be providing a bit of a sensible uh, – some sensible uh, leadership, I guess, or the sensible optics, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, with regards to uh, – Kind of what's going on in the world, uh, what's going on right now. It's it's funny because the experience of that. So the things that he's done are like, like the first sort of press conference he had, um, I, I listened to it via CBC radio, but he basically said, we're not going to spare any expense to save human lives. Mm-hmm. And this is extremely serious and science is important. Yeah. And, and I listened to the radio going, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what else I thought would be thrown in there, but it seemed clear and unexpected and impressive. And then yesterday, I think, um, there was a protest in Toronto. People wanted to get back to work. And he just said, what do you call them? Jerk offs or something? Or shenanigans? Yahoo's. Shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just said, like, this is idiotic. What are you doing? You're you're risking your lives and the lives of others. You're being terrible people. And to hear that coming from a right-wing politician, I actually – I'm glad to hear you say this because there's part of me that's like, am I misunderstanding this? Because mm-hmm. what's he up to? Yeah. Well, you know, it. it uh, here's the thing. I, you know, I think it could also just sort of be a, a bit of whiplash or, or whatever you might want to call it. Um, you're sort of watching, I think, American politics, the right, I feel, has swung so far to the right or, or there's such a reactionary or, uh, there's just this weird, I guess it just swung super far to the right in, in the States. Uh, and, and I think the, 
um, the uh, what, what's happened sort of with the government is that everything is sort of like this outrageous hyperbole or whatever, you know. And, yeah, it's like caricature uh, cartoon to the point of almost abstraction. Yeah. So I feel like when someone over here is kind of sensible and sort of says, uh, well, let's rely on science or let's look at, you know, let's let's common sense here is let's protect everybody. You know, it seems outrageous to us because I feel like certainly myself, I tend to view um, right wing right wing politics uh, as uh, as just a sort of, you know, as extreme, you know, I, I can only really see extremes now because it's extremes in sort of states. Right. So, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, the the last interview I did was with a friend of mine from Atlanta, Georgia, mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to even conceptualize what's happening there. Right, what's going on there? Well, they're re- oh in the states, you mean? Yeah, they've reopened mm-hmm. businesses and they're reopening more on Monday, and it, that ha- it, it truly it, it's a truly um, horrifying thing to confront because it's basically sacrificing poor mm-hmm. people's lives. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I. I kind of felt like that might happen here too. That's why I keep wondering if something's going on that I'm not seeing. Hmm. Right. Like you, you're wondering if. Uh, I'm sure something <laughs> is. I'm sure Dougie's given some gigs to his buddies to make masks or something. But like, that doesn't seem. <laughs> it doesn't seem right. so bad, all things considered. That seems like the garbage that normally comes with politics. Oh my god! Every sort of like business thing that he heads is so bad and so uh deeply profoundly wrong like what um well there are those like stickers that his company his family's company made to put on gas pumps uh that were trying to um that were about how unjust the carbon tax was and did we pay Uh, for their company to make them oh i don't i don't know It, it was it was his family's company but uh he made those for um, like gas stations, gas pumps, or whatever, and they wouldn't stick. Uh, and then there was the uh, the license plates. The uh, when they wanted to change Ontario's license plates to blue, yeah. Um, there was that whole furor that lasted a couple weeks where they could not be read at night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is, anyway, this is a man who's like a descendant of a, a like sticker and sign company. Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Even more. He's rich, but he's like weird rich. <laughs> gives even more credence to the rumors that possibly that's a front for drugs, and they don't really know how to make labels well. Sure. Yeah. He does not. He does not look or sound to me like someone who is the like scion of uh, of a sticker company. Like I feel like he should just be. I feel like he should be like a wacky fun guy, <laughs> like a carnival, like a P.T. Like Barnum. Wonky. <laughs> yeah you should have like a name that rhymes like uh you know like jeremy bicker <laughs> captain of stickers or something you know like <laughs> oh this should rhyme with stickers <laughs> jeremy did you say sorry did you say jeremy bicker's captain of stickers yes yeah you know sticker captain <laughs> oh god i don't want to have to post a picture of doug ford but on the podcast but i might have to <laughs> um what sort of cultural things are you um, imbibing upon today, my friend? Imbibing? I'm just trying to uh, say different words to impress you. Becky, <laughs> uh, imbibing. Okay. I sup on my culture. <laughs> what am I supping upon? Uh, <laughs> the tapestry of arts and culture. Um, uh, okay, well, lately um, – what have I been watching lately? Uh, I just rewatched Fanny and Alexander – uh that's uh do you know that no that's not the that's... thing where hugh jackman travels in time is it <laughs> no <laughs> sorry i mean to make that laugh sound so petty <laughs> so like uh, no please um, brandon that's the laugh i deserve <laughs> no uh it's uh it, it's uh ingmar bergman's like television film oh okay uh from the 80s he meant to like finish his career with it and then he made some more movies <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, it's Fanny and Alexander, uh, and it's like a five hour, it, it counts as like a five hour movie. Oh. Um, but it, uh, it's so, it's so good. It's really, really good. Um, I guess I, I sort of watched it because I, when I, when I, uh, started being in quarantine, uh, cause I was in Africa when, uh, the world got, uh, when everything started locked down. So then I 
came back and had to quarantine myself for two weeks. So I just started to watch some of my favorite movies. And, uh, I watched, uh, what did I start with? I watched, uh, okay. I watched the Godfather and I feel a bit of, <laughs> a bit of shame saying it's one of my favorite movies, but I think I realized as I'm watching it this time, it might be one of my favorite movies. It's not a bad um, movie. No, it's a, it's a great movie, but it's very, it's like, it, it's, it's like saying like pizza tastes great or something, you know, like, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's like this good movie is obviously a, a good movie that I enjoy, you know, like I, I just doesn't feel original. Uh, number two on Brandon's list is Scarface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scarface, uh, Boondock Saints, uh, <laughs> in Bruges, um, uh, <laughs> Something like that. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, no. So, yeah, I was watching that, and then I watched ha- Hannah and Her Sisters, uh, which I, maybe I get in trouble for I know. That. But then you have to cancel all those wonderful performances. and. I know. I know. I, I, I And I was at home, like, whatever. I, it Anyway, I watched I watched those movies. I watched uh, uh, E.E. Uh, by Edward Young, who's one of my favorite uh, filmmakers. Uh, oh, I don't know what that one is. So that is a Taiwanese film uh, from 2000, I believe. That's his last film. Uh, he passed away eight years later, uh, and it's like a um, it's like a family drama. Um, sort of takes place over the course of a year, uh, and it, you're sort of watching uh, the family as they go through their sort of individual um, individual life crises or that sort of thing, um, and then they kind of like. Uh, um, they have these sort of their crises all, all sort of center on them thinking about like you know uh, the past or whatever you know thinking about what uh, what their life could have been if they made this decision blah blah blah. Oh. But in watching those three movies, I realized that a pattern was emerging, which was that some of my favorite movies start with these big family, uh, these big family functions, big family events. So like Hannah and her sisters is Thanksgiving. Uh, Godfather is uh, uh, Scott, uh, the wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, e starts with a wedding. Um, uh, and Fanny Alexander, which I ended up watching because I was just like, that's part of the pattern, uh, starts with um, a big Christmas celebration and they all end like a year or something later. Like it's the span of the course of whatever. And they ended another celebration, another sad version of that celebration. Oh. Um, yeah. So, uh, I just got <laughs> kind of wistful for that. So I just started making my way through those movies. Um, it was great. So that's what I've been watching. Um, um I, how is South Africa? You went there kind of right before everyone had to come home. Yes. Uh, so I went there for the Cape Town Improv Festival, and it was great. It was really, really fun. Um, the scene there is – it's still growing, uh, but everyone who is doing it there is so um, – everyone's so, like, hungry to learn and to perform. And there are so many troops there that are so good. And, uh, just so awesome. And it's, it's, it's always interesting to kind of, uh, do comedy within an environment that is different from your own. Yeah. And, uh, that was about as different, uh, an environment from my own as I could conceive of <laughs> seeing an improv show because I think you do improv here, um, and in the States and there are, there's all these, uh, all of these sort of like short hands that people have for uh, creating characters of different intelligences or whatever, like, or different uh, st- statuses, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have different accents that kind of do, do that work sometimes. Uh, people don't know how to sort of create a character from like just behavior. Right. Uh, um, when you go to South Africa, you go to Cape Town, it obviously has its own very um, long and storied history of um, – colonization and uh, um, disenfranchisement and that sort of thing. But it's interesting sort of seeing people uh, use different accents and different dialects and that sort of thing to create different forms of characters uh, within basically uh, a milieu that I have no real understanding of. Right. You have like no uh, context context for the archetypes that are coming up. Yeah. Like someone will perform a scene uh, in English and then switch to Afrikaans in the middle and the audience will be laughing so hard because so much of the audience uh, speaks Afrikaans too. And there's a specific like cultural uh, thing that everyone's getting. And I'm just there being like, wow, I've never seen, (laughs) I've never seen someone switch dialect in an improv scene and everyone still be on the same page and understand, you know? Wow. Um, Yeah. 
So it's really cool. And, and Cape Town's really beautiful, uh, and really culturally amazing. Uh, I will say it felt a little bit, I felt a little bit, it's a bit weird because it's still like the festival is trying its absolute best to get a lot of like a really diverse crowd and a diverse, um, uh, performer base. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still, I'd still say there's a lot, it's still quite white. It's, it's working definitely like it's working very hard to get people in. And there are a lot of like, um, black and brown people, people from different sort of walks and that sort of thing performing, but it's still, it's, it's still a fairly young festival and it's, it's, it's growing, but, um, so how did that feel to be in inside of? Well, you know, it, it, it was really, it was really interesting, really eye, eye-opening. You know, I, I felt, I mean, again, I'm just sort of like a Canadian going there, so it feels a little bit weird to kind of have, yeah, uh, you know, observations about it or, or, or you know, because I, I can't, I don't have the, I don't know, I, I, I can't, uh, I haven't personally experienced the extent of what uh, South Africa, Africa has, you know, <laughs> gone through up until uh, all of our lifetimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still quite a lot of like division within, um, certainly in Cape Town, like within the city, like there's definitely a racial, a palpable racial divide, uh, that I felt, um, that I, I obviously I, I didn't quite know how to personally navigate. Um, right. So, well, but you're allowed I mean, to have your own experience. You're allowed to report on your own experience, Brandon, I, I believe. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, I, I guess all at the end of the day, it was like, I thought it was a really great city. And it was really wonderful. And I felt a little bit bummed out that, um, obviously because, um, the legacy of, uh, apartheid still looms quite large within its, uh, history. Uh, uh, I, I felt a little bit weird kind of navigating that space, knowing that there was still racial trauma, um, uh, that space being the city, uh, yeah. knowing there's like racial trauma and that sort of stuff. Um, but I was really, um, I felt, I still felt quite lucky to be there and to go. And I thought the whole city and the whole country is so beautiful and, and wonderful. Um, how do you feel about that? That's those same issues here in Canada about like inclusion mm-hmm. in the comedy scene. Well, I think. I think it's maybe getting a little bit better in improv for sure, like mm-hmm. improv and sketch, uh, where, uh, there is, I, I think there's a lot more work has been put into getting more diverse people, uh, to do sketch and improv. Um, because I think definitely with like, certainly with like black, black people, I think it was mostly probably stand up. A lot of it was stand up anyway. Right. Um, we also haven't told the audience what your ethnic background is. Hi. <laughs> uh, so I, as a black person in comedy, uh, uh, it, uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh, it, um, yeah, I think it's getting, it's certainly gotten better. Uh, you know, I, I think there's definitely initiatives to try and, and sort of um, reach out and become more inclusive and that sort of thing. So I see the scene becoming a little bit less, um, straight white male, mm-hmm. you know, uh, definitely I would say when I first started doing comedy or when I, uh, first started coming out to comedy shows like t- t- 11, 12 years ago, um, it was, it was quite, it was quite white. Yeah. Uh, and quite, and, and not necessarily mostly men, but I know definitely the Skechersons at the time were large it was largely men and then a few women mm-hmm. um and and somewhere like maybe five years later it started to become wait no not five years later um like a couple of years later like two two three years later um the troops started to shift a little bit like it moved towards a bit more gender parity uh and then it moved uh kept moving a bit further now further and further and now the troop is super gay or super queer yeah a lot of the scene is yeah and that was that was actually a huge shift that i realized after i left second city i don't know if it if you felt the same about what 
Um, so I felt like I was, so I was at Second City for two years, and when I left and I came back to see the scene, I felt like there was a not only was not only was was the Skechersons like a really queer troupe, which is great, uh, but I felt that there was this whole like grand um enclave of queer comedy this great world of queer comedy now that i don't know had if it had been there before or as big before um so how does the emergence of that new scene make you feel oh uh great i mean i think it's really cool um and and you know and awesome Uh, there's an element there's a part of me that feels a little bit jealous yeah uh, if I may be really <laughs> uh, like therapy, Frank, you may. Um, uh, jealous only, <clears throat> jealous only because I feel like it would have been nice, perhaps, to have had that when I was coming up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm sort of wondering about the ways that that would have. I feel changed not only my ability to be comfortable with talking about stuff like that on stage but also my ability to be comfortable with myself i suppose because that's that's um, i only really became comfortable with myself maybe in the past 5 years yeah um yeah cuz i remember auditioning for the so how i started in comedy was i auditioned for the sketchers in 2008 i was still in university and I, you know, was doing like – I did a yearly sketch comedy review and I performed in musicals and stuff like that. Um, and so I auditioned for the Skechersons. Um, did, a, <laughs> did not do a great job during the monologue portion and then sat down to the interview and uh, definitely just heard myself talk and was sort of comparing myself to the other voices in the room and just could not help but think – that I f- sounded so, um, I sounded so, uh, can I like kind of swear here? <laughs> can you swear? Yeah. Absolutely, Brandon. Okay. This is not necessarily a swear, but it's like a slur, but I, but I use it as a, to sort of iterate my kind of mental state at the time, uh-huh. which is, um, uh, I could hear, I heard myself talk and I, I was just was like, I sound so faggy or whatever, you know? Yeah. Is that okay to say? <laughs> Absolutely, Brandon. You can say that. Okay, great, great, great. Um, so I, I didn't get to the troupe, but I uh, they put us into these other two troops that would like alternate um, doing the show before the Skechersons on Sundays for a couple of years, and uh, I used to watch the show every week that I could uh, Sunday Night Live, and uh, at the time there was very much a kind of bigger kind of like. Broier energy, I suppose, yeah. for lack of a, a better word. Uh, and I feel like sort of watching that, um, at the time, uh, I, I, I think the conclusion that I kind of came to subconsciously was, uh, well, I, you know, I can't be, I have to try to match as to the best of my ability, this sort of guy's guy tone mm-hmm. a little bit. So I think for a long time, I, in doing comedy, tried to be a little bit more just kind of like presentationally neutral, I suppose, and yeah, tried my best to not sound the way that I sometimes sound, which is that like this way, like the way that I, like I talk right now a little bit, um, you know, sometimes I have a bit of a like – if I were to dissect the way that I talk, kind of like a laconic, like uh schoolboy or something like that. Okay. Um, that goes, pr- I mean, that's pretty deep. Like I don't tend to read you that way. Oh, that's okay. But that's I see what nice. you mean. I can see, uh-huh. I can understand your self-consciousness about it. If you didn't feel included. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I feel like I sound like either a mix, but like a little bit of a, like a, a slightly, I just feel like I sound like a a, a, a dork, like a, a know-it-all sometimes. Um, That's why I feel so safe and- with you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So it um, – so – but anyway, all, all of which is to say is that, you know, if, 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 if there had been a bit of a queer – a bit more of it was like a stronger queer component in comedy at that time or if I had known about it, I perhaps – could have spared myself the 
stress of trying to fit in a little bit or feeling like I needed to kind of be able to be <laughs> be that way, I suppose. Or code shift. Code, yeah, code switch. Yeah, code switch. Um, yeah, old shift would work too. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Did, did you ever find yourself like code switching? Like, I, I feel like there are other ways that I code uh, switched when I was at Comedy Bar. Um, oh yeah, I mean, like you saying that was interesting to me because I was like, I really. Um, if not set aside my femininity, I definitely encouraged my masculinity as I was learning improv. I had to. And mm -hmm. I succeeded because of it. I softened over the years and then I hardened up again. I'm like, now I'm a bit of an angry old woman and I'm allowed to be that too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was just aggressive was what got you in. And I don't know. I tried to make spaces so that women didn't have to have that voice in order to succeed. And there's many ways to be funny. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Totally. And it happens in ways we don't even notice. Yeah. I feel like we're right now in a a moment where all of the institutions that I think certainly within the city uh, or within Canadian comedy that thrived on the sort of like aggressive like meanness and, and cutthroat uh, thing, I feel like a lot of that is crumbling right now or – or I hope so. To me, yeah. Like, it, I, I'm, a lot of it's still there, but I mean, you hear stories about, like, different, like, rooms um, of, like, long-running long, long, long shows, you know, that used to be kind of, like, a bit more fraught, a bit more, like, whatever. Um, and when I found my way in those rooms, they've been nicer and – yeah. You know, they've been changed and even like Second City, you know, up until like, you know, maybe like a couple years before uh, I joined or something, you know, you'd he always hear, you'd hear stories about like, well, so, you know, so-and-so cast member uh, had problems with this person and this person had a problem with this person or, you know, this cast hated each other, like stuff like that from like, or even 10 years before, you know, and I, I feel like maybe things started to change a little bit where it didn't necessarily have to be that way. Maybe I'm not necessarily, maybe not uniformly, like maybe I just have like specific experiences. But things are changing. Uh, I mean, it's becoming like a roll your eyes irrelevancy to behave a certain way. Mm -hmm. And we're certainly nowhere close to winning this battle, but like there are people who aren't allowed to stay in positions of power because they don't get it and they won't listen. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, and I would not even say the majority, but some people have to deal with repercussions. Right. Um, what yeah. What was a moment where you felt like you got to be more in your skin on stage and you got to be more yourself? Um. Well, when I got to the Skechersons, it took me about a year to kind of figure out to find my footing. Um. And I think I started to write sketches about, um, I, I guess I, I, after, after a certain point, I, I, they started to let me kind of write, um, stuff that was either my attempt at being brainy, which whatever, <laughs> not necessarily brainy, but, <laughs> uh, and stuff about being queer, I suppose. And when I, um, when I found that audiences could laugh at, uh, those specific, at my specific, uh, perhaps, um, experiences or thoughts. Yeah. That felt quite empowering or not empowering, but, um, freeing, I suppose. Um, yeah. And how did it feel at Second City, which is a more mainstream audience? Um, Second City was a bit of a struggle initially for me. Um, because I was just in my head the whole time for most of the process of the first show, the show that we did together. Yeah. I thought you were great in it. You're so kind. Thank you so much. I'm You're not awesome. kind. I'm honest. <laughs> um, uh, but I feel like, I feel like after, after we did the first show and I survived it and I knew that they were like, Come back, do another show. Um, then I felt a little bit like I could sort of fuck around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean that in a sort of way where I was just sort of like, I, I could slack off or I could, you know, just not care about the work. But I meant it more as like, I could, 
I could I could feel free to be as silly or as my version of smart as I, I wanted to be. And uh, yeah, I had I felt from the previous from doing the reps of the previous show that uh, I felt like I had the skill set to be able to support myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, was there a sketch that stood out as something you were the most proud of? Of the whole time I was there? Yeah, that you did. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of a Luke Skywalker <laughs> sketch. Um, <laughs> that was fun just because I, it literally, I mean, that was okay. So it was a sketch of my fourth show and I was so tired, um, all the time because I'd done like 600 shows or something. Um, so I wrote a scene where I, uh, basically just stood up and talked to the audience for five minutes. Yeah. Didn't have to like do any walking or like acting <laughs> so much. I just wrote a bunch of jokes for myself, did my version of like, and just pulled all of these sort of references to queer theory that I could remember from books that I'd been reading at the time. Uh, and, um, made this essay, short video essay about, uh, how Luke Skywalker can sort of read his journey as the journey to queer awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, that ended with that game where I just connect. Uh, people yell at suggestions and I uh, connect their suggestions via six degrees of separation to cats. Yes. The musical. A very um, prescient scene, Brandon. A very, yeah, oddly prescient scene. Um, yeah, that was, that was a scene I was super proud of. I mean, I, I really liked that scene. Um, it was wonderful. It was like watching a magic trick. And also, like in what you're saying, that like um, there was a sort of nicheness to it, but it worked for everybody. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. got to feel great. Yeah, no, it it felt really good. Like I, I mean, if I had left before that show, uh, I, I feel like I'd have been like, I'm fine, I'm fine with what I did at Second City. But I, I think staying for that last show, I really got the chance to do uh, the thing that I feel is the most me. Yeah, and it <laughs> and it that's... just killed. Hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you. I got to see it. Hmm. And we were in we were in the opening scene of your first show together. Yes, where we both yeah. killed ourselves. <laughs> oh yeah, we're what are we on the top of a building or something? We were in the top floor of Trump Tower and we jumped off. Oh Jesus! Right, right. Oh yeah. Well, full circle. <laughs> from from yeah, full circle from suicide we... to like joy and redemption. <laughs> That's uh, bananas. I haven't watched – like, I haven't really watched that show at all. Um, I've uh, never on, watched uh, any of the ones I was in after I did them. Oh, yeah? Do you have trouble watching yourself? No, nah, I just don't teach, so I don't need to know the catalog of scenes anymore. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Brandon, where can people mm-hmm. find you and follow you like a leader? Um, You can find me uh, – uh, I'm most active on my Twitter account. Uh, so that's at Brandon Hackett on Twitter. Um, if you like, you can probably Google, you can probably go on YouTube and type in Brandon Hackett and you'll find some clips <laughs> of me. Uh, if you wanted to see, I got some, a couple pieces on the Beaverton and, uh, oh yeah, uh, piece on uh, 22 minutes, uh, back in the day. Um, great. Instagram, Brandon R. Hackett. Uh, <laughs> Cool. I don't up- update it at all. That's great. Um, thanks for yeah. chatting with me, Brandon. Oh, thank you for having me. This was absolutely wonderful. It was just what I needed. Mm-hmm. I hope it was me? useful for you. What? Oh, I was going to say me too. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Are you going to cry? I don't know. I'm always close to tears nowadays. Okay, we got to end Oh, this. no. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. H Word Podcast is happy to be part of the Shop family of productions. Follow the shop on Instagram at the underscore shop to artwork this week by Ian Phillips and our theme music as always by Laura Barrett. For information on all our artists and guests, please follow us everywhere at the H Word Pod or sign up for our newsletter at the H Word Pod.com. Mm-hmm.